millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. We'll do it live. We'll do it live. Welcome to World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Fresh week, fresh start. Good to be here with you. My name is Nate Abarea. Tweet me at NateWST. Follow all of us at World Soccer Talk. What a weekend. What a weekend all over the footballing world, all over the soccer world, the Calcio world, whatever world you're living in, if it has a little round ball and 22 men or women chasing it, what a weekend. The U.S. women's national team, Mexico, Argentina, England, Italy, Spain, Northern California. I soaked it all in. I traveled everywhere in my own mind this weekend. A lot of it centered around the Premier League where Everyone is talking now about that Delhi Alley goal, that that Tottenham strike that uh, ended up being the match winner at Selhurst Park against Crystal Palace. That Delhi Alley goal, talking about it as one of the world goals of the year. And I'm back here in Northern California thinking, oh, come on, let's not get over the top here. It wasn't even the goal of the weekend. That has to go to a 25-yard thunderbolt volley from Kobe Vara for the Shasta Wolfpack JV squad, who defeated Red Bluff 7-0. On Friday afternoon up in Redding, California. 8-0-0, by the way. Big piece of information. I know you guys are dying to know the record right now. 8-0-0. Four more matches to go. We shall see what our Shasta Wolfpack boys can accomplish. But no, in all honesty, Deli Alley with one of the goals of the year in the Premier League. One of the best goals I've seen in a year or so. Spurs are flying. The legend of Klopp's glasses. I mean, the 5-4 victory for Liverpool at Carroll Road against Norwich. And I'm telling you, as a Liverpool fan, whether it's Luis Garcia drinking sangria, Luis Suarez scoring hat tricks, or this incredible 5-4 victory in the legend of of Kloppy's glasses. I love when Liverpool play on the road at Norwich. It's the house of beautiful things. And how about the Super Clasico down in Argentina, the first edition of it here in 2016? Boca and River in a preseason match with a 20-man brawl and three red cards. You gotta love it. Hope you enjoyed your footballing weekend, and we've got a very special treat for you to open up this week. Shaka Hislop is going to be with us. That's right, the former Trinidad and Tobago and West Ham goalkeeper with us on the other side of this break. Cannot wait to get talking with Shaka. Why don't you stick around? World Soccer Talk Radio. Oh, we're going to rock. 
Welcome back to World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. We'll get Shaka Hislop on the line with us here as soon as possible. And we're actually going to be talking with Shaka all about what West Ham are doing these days and exciting times ahead for one of his uh, former clubs, a club that he has a, a great affection for to this day. We've talked with Shaka about that quite a bit on this show before. And it's funny because there's certain players who... Craig Burley is one who actually comes to mind, one of Shaka's co-workers over there at ESPN FC, another great friend of the show. And Craig is, Craig is quite candid when he talks about relationships with former teams. And Craig is someone who, who played for Chelsea for, for almost 10 years, played for Celtic for a substantial period of time in his career as, as a proud Scotsman. And it's funny, Craig's one of those guys who says, Nate, you know, I'm not trying to be a jerk here, but I have to be honest, I don't really have any added affection or, or devotion or loyalty to Chelsea as, as a pundit, as a, as a broadcaster, a writer, whatever it may be. I don't have any loyalty to Chelsea any more than I do to Manchester United or Crystal Palace or Grimsby Town or... Crawley or Swansea. I mean, the, the point being that, and even Celtic, he said, even his time as Celtic, where he enjoyed himself greatly, where he has nothing but good things to say about the time that he, he spent in Glasgow playing for Celtic. He says, I really don't actually have any level of loyalty to Celtic over Rangers, over Aberdeen, over any other team in Scotland or any other team in the world for that matter. And I bring that up because the juxtaposition here is fascinating because you get guys who are former pros like Craig, who, who not to say that they weren't giving their all for their teams, but they just, they, they don't have that level of lifelong connection that some players end up having with certain clubs. And I have to say, Shaka Hislop, funny enough, is for me in, in all of my experience talking with ex-professionals and guys who've been around the game for decades plus Shaka is someone who has great loyalty to to West Ham and and I don't know what exactly it was I mean I I wasn't a a fly on the wall at Upton Park during his time there but from everything that I've heard from him I can I can be led to believe that he was treated incredibly well that he also has a an amazing amount of respect and appreciation for for Harry Redknapp the man who who signed him uh, at West Ham when he was a youngster and, and had the faith in, this is back before, you know, foreign goalkeepers were such a commonplace in, in English football, but having faith in this, this man from the Caribbean, you know, being a, being a Premier League goalkeeper. And so it's interesting because I, I have such great respect for, for both of these men that I'm bringing up. And we've had both of them on the show multiple times. And, and I just think it's so funny that Shaka has got this incredible loyalty to, to West Ham and everything that is the Hammers. And, and I can't wait to talk with Shaka about West Ham moving forward and, and his thoughts on the new Olympic Stadium and saying bye to, to the bowling ground, Upton Park, and everything that the fans are going through right now. A lot of people making this really interesting comparison of West Ham to Tottenham right now and, and where Tottenham have gone under Mauricio Pochettino over the last couple of seasons. And my God, what they're doing right now, developing a hell of a lot of momentum in the Premier League. Look out for Tottenham in this wide open race for the top four where we're still throwing out Leicester City as a potential title winner in the Premier League. Look out for Spurs. That's all I'm going to say, especially with Deli Alley working, working his magic and everybody else doing their things as well. But there's so many bright things to look forward to for West Ham and a lot of people are comparing them to Tottenham right now and saying that it's actually going to be West Ham who are, are going to be the, the 
proud, the, the London club to compete with, with the likes of Arsenal and Chelsea. They're going to be the London club that, that are going to be right up there in terms of worldwide exposure as far as the money that's going to start flowing in through, through ticket sales, through being more marketable, through playing in, in this Olympic stadium with a, a bigger capacity and, and all, all that goes with that on, on so many different levels. And, you know, tomorrow we have, have the great, great pleasure of, of having a, a very, distinguished guest uh with us who <laughs> his name is steve Parrish. we we have in tomorrow's show we, we have the chairman of crystal palace uh with us so talk about the the advancement of of london soccer and and football in the city of london all these clubs that are doing the right things and taking advantage of the new money flowing in to the premier league taking advantage of the television deals, taking advantage of new stadiums, of foreign investment, all these things. And so I love what's going on at West Ham. I love what's going on at Tottenham. I love what's going on at Crystal Palace. And we'll be talking uh, specifically about the West Ham subject uh, with Shaka Hislop as soon as we get him on the line. And again, tomorrow, be sure to uh, tune in for that one. A very exciting conversation coming up with Crystal Palace chairman Steve Parrish, a man who rescued that club six years ago from administration, helped them escape bankruptcy. And although they are going through a bit of a rough patch in the Premier League right now, you compare it to where Crystal Palace were six years ago. And again, this progression of, of London football here in the new millennium, it's some fascinating, fascinating stuff. Getting word that we do indeed have Shaka Hislop on the line. Shaka, are you there, sir? I certainly am. How are you Oh, I'm I'm doing mighty fine. So I, I can't wait to talk with you all about uh, your your beloved hammers, about your former side, and everything uh, going on with West Ham. But I have to ask you before we get into anything. The last time that we had you on the show was back in August, and we said that you you actually said that in your next ESPN contract, you were hoping to work out a clause that got you some kind of bonus each time you had to uh, deal with the disturbing flatulence uh, in the room from a co-worker. Have you, have you worked anything like that out in a new contract? No, not, not, not quite just yet. The, uh, my lawyers are looking at it, though, because it's a, it's a health hazard as well. <laughs> well, we've, we've, we've got Stevie Nickel on the show on Friday, so I'll be sure to pass that along. Please do. Please, yes. <laughs> All right, let, let's get right into to the hammers and everything going on uh, with your former club right now. Let's focus in the immediate. First off, uh, I, I assume you had a chance to, to watch the match this weekend and the exciting 2-2 draw with Manchester City where West Ham, quite frankly, were unlucky at the end to not get all three points. It was an incredible game. But take us through uh, your, your thoughts of this past weekend for the Hammers with the match against City. But it, it didn't surprise me all that much to see West Ham performance as well as it did against City. I mean, we all know that City have been incredibly inconsistent. But West Ham, more to the point, against teams like City, I think I've fared well. You saw that early on in the season with how, how well they, they started on the road. When teams allow them to play, they, um, I, I think they're, they're a match for anybody. And, and what Slavin Bilic has done, or the, the team he has assembled, it's a team that can, can play in a, a number of different ways. They can be direct with, with Andy Carroll when he's fit. Uh, I know he wasn't on the weekend. But, but when you have the likes of, of, of Valencia uh, on the park and Asako when, when he's available, it's a team that can hit you with a lot of pace, a lot of good movement. They have a, a solid midfield anchored by, by none other than Mark Noble, who made his debut when I was, when I was at West Ham and, and started establishing himself as, as, a, as a hammer that long ago. 
Um, and, and it's a team that I think is, is as complete as we've seen for, for quite some time. I want to ask you something here, uh, actually taking a step away from the the immediate here and, and talking about something with your West Ham career, because I talked about this a few minutes ago, and it's something that's, that really fascinates me because you have this great affection and great love for West Ham as a club, as, as a team that you played for. And it's actually another one of your co-workers at ESPN FC named Craig Burley is, is among, and, and Craig's not the only one, where guys play for certain teams throughout their career. They'll play upwards of 10 years for a team, and then when they're post-career when they're a pundit they're a, a broadcaster a writer whatever it may be they don't really have loyalty for that team over Manchester United or over a, a lower division side it's quite to the contrary for you you do definitely have a great affection and loyalty seemingly to West Ham talk about what it was in your time there that that made it that way because you you played for other teams as well you know what what was it about your time at West Ham that carries on something in your heart to this day it was just um, the, the time I, I, when I played, and, and oh, probably a lot to do with it was who I played under and, and how you read now. West Ham are, are, are a club that, well, certainly I came there from, from Newcastle, that there was a lot of expectation, and there wasn't that at, at West Ham. And the, the philosophy, for, for, uh, which is a, a much used phrase, is, it was a rather simple one. Enjoy your football and play to the Ron Greenwood style, which is. He wanted to end the ball and, and getting results. You, you had to kind of appreciate the, the finer details of the game uh, in terms of in terms of how, how how the game was played on the floor, fast paced, um, and one that, that the fans could, could get behind. And the fans bought into that as well. And, and you saw that a couple of scenes ago when Sam Allardyce, remember, he, he complained after a game that West Ham actually won, and the crowd booed because they, they didn't like the style. And, and that's kind of, it kind of reflected my own upbringing in the game, um, playing in, in Trinidad and Tobago, where, all right, maybe because of, of, of the, the temperature and the climate there, the game wasn't just all about kick and rush. It wasn't just all high tempo. Um, it, it, they had, it was a, a lot more methodical. It had a lot more tactics to it back then. And, and I just felt that my time at West Ham, the way they played and the way they were expected to play, Reflected my own my own roots in the game, and, and as, as I, I just I'm just as much as enjoy my profession from. Well, you brought up the name Ari Redknapp, and that's something I want to talk with you on the other side of this break. Shaka Hislop uh, alongside yours truly, Nate Abarea, talking a little Ari on the other side right here on World Soccer Talk Radio, Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned. Picking up right where we left off, Nate Abarea here with Shaka Hislop on World Soccer Talk Radio and talking a little airy. Harry Redknapp, the man that, that signed Shaka Hislop when, when he first came to West Ham. And, and Shaka, I, I throw it to you right now because you, you touched on something really interesting there in terms of his philosophy and how much you embraced it and how much it in many ways tied in with the overall philosophy of, of West Ham as a club going back decades upon decades. And there's always this conception, though, with, with Harry Redknapp, whether it was his time at, at West Ham or, or a number of, of other clubs that we don't, 
don't have enough time to give the full list right here, but there's always this conception that that man management was was his forte and how he he got the best out of his players through through man man management. But there's always this kind of knock on him that he wasn't as tactically astute, shall we say, as as other managers. Kind of that idea of just telling the players to go out there and, and play their best and love the game of football, embrace every minute out there, soak it all up, and let the players sort out the decisions on the pitch. What did you see as far as that kind of discussion goes, as far as his strengths of man management and maybe some of his his lackings in terms of, of the tactics? What did you see as far as that discussion when you played under him? Well, I think he kind of summed it up there, Nate. I mean, it's exactly as you described. Harry Redknapp was, was a fantastic man manager, though not a great, a great tactician. But then, look at the change, look at the success he had. Look at the types of players that he signed. Uh, at West Ham, for instance, he signed Paolo Di Canio when, when nobody would touch him. An absolute genius on the park. He signed Ian Wright. He signed Razor Ruddock, Davos Suker. Um, these are the types of players that I think Harry did, uh, Harry did so well with. Players who, who knew the game and, and wanted the opportunity or, or or a last opportunity, as it may be in the case of Abdava Osuka and, and, and Ian Wright, to go out and, and prove their worth when others were asking them to, to fit into a certain system. Um, and maybe, and, and maybe they, they, they couldn't or didn't want to or didn't, didn't appreciate what that, what, that system, what that system was. You could come, you could come and you play under high red now, know that you'd be surrounded with wonderfully talented players and allowed to express yourself. I mean, not, not just those players that, that, that I mentioned. Um, I, I think most, most listeners would, names of most listeners would recognize. But you had players like Trevor Sinclair. We had Mark Vivian Foy, who, who passed on a, a few years later. Um, Ian Pierce, Stuart Pierce at the back. It, it made for fantastic footballing teams. Um, I was also at West Ham when Harry Redknapp gave Joe Cole his debut. And his instructions to Joe were simple. Go sit in behind, it, in behind the striker and enjoy yourself. That's all he asked of Joe. We knew what was expected of Joe. We knew he wasn't going to come back to defend. And we had players who were good enough, who understood the game well enough to, to compensate and, and to adjust to, to, to suit. And I, I still feel that that was Joe's best football at West Ham at his earliest, under Harry Redknapp, where he was just allowed to express himself and, and do, as, do, as, do as he felt. Um, and, and that's exactly what Harry did. Great talent, great talents on the park and allowed them to make their own minds up, trust in their own instincts on, on the field um, and, and make the right decisions. And, and it, it, it was wonderfully successful. And at the same time, it was a lot of fun to be a part of. Shaka, we we had a laugh about this off the air uh, the, the last time you were on the show, and I, I have to, because this transitions perfectly, I have to share this uh, with the listeners right now. First English football match that I ever attended, I was, I was eight years old, and it was back in the year 1999 at Villa Park in Birmingham on a Monday night. It was West Ham taking on Villa in April of 1999. You were the starting goalkeeper for that, that match. Frank Lampard, Rio Ferdinand, and Joe Cole were all youngsters out on the pitch that night. Villa Park packed back in the day. It was absolutely packed. Amazing atmosphere on a Monday night. And you know what the best part of the story is, Shaka? 
You had a clean sheet. Nil-nil draw. I didn't get a goal in the first ever match that I attended in England, but I did get something even better. Of course, a shock at his lop shutout. <laughs> well, I, I, as it happens, Nate, that, that season, we did quite well. If you look at the stats, our stats were, 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 were shocking. Um, I think we had like a plus four goal difference or something of the short. But I actually kept the second most clean sheets that season after David Seaman. David Seaman had 19, and I think I, I had 17 or 15, so somewhere around there. We, West Ham had, if memory serves me correctly, more clean sheets than Peter Schmeichel and Manchester United at, at the time. And that was the trouble-winning trouble season of Manchester United. What we did do, though, was when we conceded, we conceded a lot. And, and that, again, kind of just goes into how we, we played the game. If we went behind... We were going to chase and we were going to go for it. We never mind just limiting the damage. We were going to go all out and trying to get ourselves back. But yeah, so clean sheets were were a thing we enjoyed. But um, but when we didn't keep them, we were in for an, an exciting roller coaster, whichever way. And fortunately, you picked one of the few nil nils we had that season. Well, you know what? I'll never forget, Shaka, being a, a little kid. And I was in the Holt End, too. So, I mean, you can imagine how overwhelming the, the massive Holt End at Villa Park was. I'm this little kid. There's, there's punch-ups going on around me. There's all the, the songs and, and all the, the anger flying around in the air. And it was the second half with Villa attacking the Holt End. And I actually remember a play that, that involved you. And it was Dion Dublin uh, playing up front for Aston Villa at the back post on, on this play where you kind of got wrong-footed going over to to cover one post and the ball nicked off somebody went back and Dion Dublin had the entire goal to work with and I don't I still to this day Dion Dublin one of the great goal scorers of of that generation did so much good I still don't know what the hell he was doing but he threw this bizarre kind of like twisting karate kick at the ball when he could have just tapped it right in he somehow puts it wide and I remember that was like a great introduction to the life of a goalkeeper because I still to this day remember I was close enough to see the expression on your face going oh wow like we just we just got away with that awesome <laughs> yeah exactly I mean and I know Dion very well one of the great players and one of the great gentlemen of the, of, of the game I have to say and yeah, you don't you don't give Dion a lot, you know. You certainly didn't. And a lot of times, I, 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 as a goalkeeper, you you know who's around you. And when the ball falls to certain players, you kind of know what to expect and, and know what's coming. And, and you have to adjust. So it's, it's different for for different players. But you give Dion half a chance, and it's going to end up in, the, in you, or you, you feel it's going to end up in the back of the net, whichever way. He was strong in the air, had two great feet. Um, so you, you, I get myself in a muddle and you look over and you see Dion Dublin, both fall into Dion Dublin and, and all, or you, you just wait on the crowd just to, to cheer and all that. That's, you know, you know, that that's what's about to come next. And you just kind of go into the emotions still that. And to see Dion miss it or miss hit it, it, it you know, it, it's, it's a real thing. And, and you, um, you count your blessings, you, you get the ball moving again as quickly as possible just to make sure it's. It's not a dream, or no. the referee doesn't give him a do-over, and, and uh, you're thanking lucky stars. 
Without a doubt. Hey, Shaka, we've only got about a minute and a half before we got to head to break, but but I love looking back on this. It was such a special night for me. And again, those players, I love that you brought up Joe Cole and talked about the freedom that Cole had as a youngster under Harry Redknapp. But when you look at at Frank Lampard and Joe Cole in particular, and even even Rio Ferdinand as well in, in, in that team, did you have any idea watching those guys as youngsters that, that they would be as great as, as they ended up being? They would all end up being pretty much legends of their generation? But early on, he always felt that Joe Cole and, and Rio would go on to do great things. Frank was actually told early on that he was not good enough to make it at West Ham. His dad was the assistant coach at West Ham, and Frank developed a work ethic off the back of that rejection that is second to none. Frank worked tirelessly. During practice, he would stay back after practice, working on the striking with both, both feet, working on his fitness, working on his runs, on his sprinting, got himself into a physical shape, and, and, and worked himself into, into greatness. It's, it's the only way you, you can express it. Whereas Rio and Joe had a lot more natural talent. And I, again, I, I, being there for four years, when these guys were coming through, I, was, I had a ringside seat to see exactly how they progressed. And, and, and Frank's focus, Frank's single-mindedness, again, for me, is, is second to none. It's, it's something that I hear a lot of people speak about with Cristiano Ronaldo. And I know Bright York, and he played at Manchester United with Cristiano, and he says the same things about Cristiano. I saw that in Frank. So to see Frank achieve the things that he did, and play as long as he did, didn't come as a surprise when you see him, when you see the time he put in uh, at the training ground. Rio, on the other hand, was always blessed with natural talent. I actually heard Rio on the radio defending John Stones and some of his mistakes and said it was a part of the learning process. And I saw that. Again, I, was, I had a front row seat to that as a player. I, I probably picked the ball out the back of the net a few times because of some of, Rio, because of, some of Rio's mistakes. Hey, hey Shaka, yeah, Shaka, let's, continue. let's definitely continue this here on the no other problem. side of the break. We're back Stop after this. Break. World Soccer Talk Radio, Shaka Hislop, and yours truly, Nate Abarea. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the show. World Soccer Talk Radio here on the Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Tweet us your take on this episode at World Soccer Talk and find me, Nate Abarea, at Nate WST. Shaka Hislop alongside yours truly for this one. And I want to talk with you now, Shaka, about something that relates to, to Harry Redknapp. Well, it relates directly to Harry Redknapp, but it, it's something that you touched on as far as we're, we're talking all about these youngsters and, and going back in the memory banks and talking about playing with the, the young Joe Cole and young Frank Lampard and young Rio Ferdinand at West Ham. But you also touched on what Harry did for guys at the end of, of their careers at, at West Ham and obviously at so many other clubs, uh, the likes of Davor Sucre, the likes of Ian Wright. And it's funny that, that I was just thinking about this during the break is that Harry signed you again in England late on in your career at Portsmouth. I mean, so it actually holds true with you as well. He brought you in when you were a younger goalkeeper. He brought you in towards the the end of your career as well. I mean, talk about a relationship like that where a guy as a manager is with you kind of throughout multiple stages of your career and and how that relationship was built. Yeah, it really was wonderful, and, and the expectation was different um, in playing for, for Harry at, at West Ham than, than, one, than which it was at, at, at Portsmouth. Now, we came into West Ham, a, a young and exciting team. Um, we finished fifth that season. That is still West Ham's highest ever 
Premier League finish. I'm, I'm hoping that West Ham can can at least equal that, if not if not better this time around. But that's a, another discussion, maybe for another day. Um, and, and we had this one. We had fantastic experience and youth, as, as you mentioned. And as long as we played the game in the way that the fans were expected and we enjoyed it, that was all that was ever asked of us. At Portsmouth, it was a different challenge. I actually joined Harry at, at Pompey. Uh, Pompey were, were in what, what is now the championship. It was the, the first division. It was branded as the first division at, at, at the time. Um, and Portsmouth had been in, in the midst of a, of a terrible run, I think, in in the 10 years previous, or at least 17 times, or seven times the previous 10 seasons, 10 seasons, Pompey had only managed to finish above 15th, I think, in, in, in League One. And, and I mean, that's, that's, that's how uh, my head in, in, in that division, Portsmouth, were, were the time. And Harry brought me in at the latest stages of my career. He brought the likes of Paul Merson in um, uh, to, to strengthen that squad. Uh, Steve Stone, he brought down from, from Aston Villa. Um, and, and again, it was a, a team that had a lot of experience in it and a lot of good players in it, um, and maybe at the back end of their careers, and, and a lot of young talent coming through. We, we ended up winning the first division that season and then went on uh, in, 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 in previous, the next two uh, while I was there. Managed uh, to survive in, in, in the Premier League. And um, Harry then moved on and... and, and Came back eventually, which part I had already left and, and probably retired at that. At which point, I only played another year after after I left Pompey. Um, but it, it was again a, a gift of Harry, just kind of knowing the right pieces for the puzzle that he was trying to build and allowing talented players to come in and just enjoy their football and trust in their instincts on, on the field. Do you think he is done? Managing on on the touchline, being a, a proper football manager in England, has has his time run out, or do you see him potentially managing in the Premier League again? I, I think his time has, has run out. I, I just feel that now it's been a little bit too long for Harry that he's been out to the game. The game has moved on, um, and and I think the game benefits from from new and fresh ideas. Maybe he comes in and serves. In some backroom capacity, uh, while I was, you know, while you know, while I was playing for for Harry, he had Jim Smith as as, as his assistant, who um, was there on the training field. Was, was another experienced head that a lot of the players could 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 go to, could lean on that a lot of the staff could go to and, and, and lean on. Maybe Harry plays that kind of role in, in the latter stages of of, of of his own footballing career, as, as it were. But as as the um, as, as a, a head coach or, or the the first team manager, I, I, I'd be surprised if I saw Harry on that touchline again. Well, definitely. And uh, by the way, I encourage everybody to go out and check out our, our good friend Graham Hunter's uh, two-part interview uh, with Harry Redknapp through the uh, the big interview series. Some phenomenal stuff within that. And also go check out the uh, the Graham Hunter episode of World Soccer Talk Radio from uh, from last week while you're at it. But cheers to Harry Redknapp, whether he manages uh, in the top flight in England again or not. An absolute legend of the game. And, and many people, I'm sure, would echo some of the words uh, that Shaka has just shared here on the show today. All right, we we got to jump right back 
to West Ham because it's such a, a special season for so many reasons. The, the main one being the, the football being played and, and the chances to, to accomplish something truly great. And we'll get to that stuff here in a few moments. But I have to ask you about the, the special sense of this season with it being the last at the bowling ground, with it being the last season at Upton Park, a place that is obviously near and dear to your heart, Shaka. What are you going to miss the most about Upton Park? And what are, what are perhaps some of your greatest memories at Upton Park that, that stand out to this day? Wow. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to miss the chicken run. Well, not, not, not that chicken run is, is in existence in, in, in the way it was in my, my first spell uh, at West Ham. But it was, a, it was the, the section that um, nobody really wanted to go in front of and play in front of. I, I remember I, I played at, at Upton Park, and this is before it was redeveloped, where the, the Stands were very close to the side of the pitch. The chicken run was was kind of notorious for for uh, how kind of volatile those, those the fans were. I've played games there where the ball was sitting on on the on the sideline uh, for the opposition to, to throw, and nobody from the opponents would want to go run and take a throw. And the ball would just sit there, and everybody just be kind of looking over, kind of saying, "Well, no, you take it. I'm not going over there." Type of thing, and, and we would just always raise a laugh for, for, from everybody. Um, and, and I think once once the, the Upton Park was redeveloped, uh, the, the stands were pushed back probably six or seven yards from 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 the, the, the touchline um, all around the park, and it, it seemed to lose a little bit of the atmosphere, and it, it see, and it definitely lost a, a lot of the intimidation factor that came with, with playing at Upton Park. So uh, that, that has changed. Well, some of my best memories, I, I don't know. We, we had some fantastic times, I have to say, especially in, in that first spell at, at West Ham um, where the, the football was so great. We had fantastic characters as well, uh, as well in that dressing room. That made it a, a, a special place. And then I came back um, 2005, 2006, played under Alan Pardew. And as I said, the, the ground had been redeveloped. I, I, I think the atmosphere at Upton Park, as I mentioned, it lost a, a little something. But then we went on that amazing FA Cup run, which well, don't get me talking about, about the final just yet, Nate. I'm, I'm still getting counseling over, over that 2006 FA Cup final. Um, and, and the whole place erupted around how well the team was playing. This was the team, the team had just been promoted that season, um, so everybody expected us to do a little more than, than just survive. Um, we were very near to, to the, the top five and top six all the way to the end of the season. I think we ended up finishing ninth, but that was mainly due to, to our FA Cup run where uh, we simply lost focus on what we were doing in the league. Um, and, and it really was a, a special season as well. I would love to, 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 to win that FA Cup, not, not just you know, for, for personal accomplishment. But I feel it's the least that my staff fans do. Well, I, I, I apologize for doing this, but the next match in the <laughs> Cup for West Ham will be against Liverpool at Upton Park. So I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to just spit out the facts on that one. But what do you think are going to be the keys for, for West Ham to defeat the, uh, the Jurgen Klopp-led Reds uh, in, in the Cup this upcoming weekend? Well, I, I, honestly, I think West Ham just have to keep doing what they're doing. I'm not at all convinced by Liverpool this season. And this, no, this is not a slight or meant as a slight of Jürgen Klopp, a manager who I have a, a tremendous respect for. But even if you look at uh, uh, Liverpool's game on the weekend, defensively, 
I, I, I just feel that Liverpool are still looking for an identity and, and still trying to figure out exactly what they're doing, exactly what Jürgen Klopp is, is trying, to, trying to get out of them. And, and it feels a little bit fractured. Whereas you, you look at West Ham and you know what you're going to get from this team. Slavin Bilic knows this team now and he, I think he has this team playing pretty much how he, he wants them to play. That they understand their defensive roles and they also understand the difference, the, the, the different ways that they can approach uh, attacking, attacking this game. And now, um, I, and I feel as a result, West Ham are in a far better place than, than Liverpool are. And the, as, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Nate, the one thing West Ham are very good at is, is being exciting and taking games to the, opposite, to the opponents when the opponents themselves come out to play. And that's what Liverpool are going to do. And it's going to allow West Ham space to, to, to move room in behind for the likes of Valencia, uh, a midfield that uh, Payet continues to, to amaze in. And I, I think this is exactly the type of game that West Ham are at their best. And I, I, I see them getting, getting me three points. Well, advancing to the next round, exactly in the in the cup, and then they they took it to Liverpool back when they uh, when they played. You know, what was funny is this this just came to mind. The last time we actually had you on the show, Shaka, it was Liverpool West Ham a day later. So now it'll be Liverpool West Ham a few days later. I don't know how this keeps happening uh, for us, but but somehow it does. And and West Ham have Liverpool's number this year. I mean, that's the thing. In two league matches, it's a a three nil and a two nil, both in dominating fashion. The three nil at Anfield was just a a true thumping in in every way, shape, and form. And Coutinho actually uh, was was sent off. In that match, that was the first loss of the season for Liverpool. Back when a, a man by the name of Brendan Rodgers was was the manager, remember that guy? But yeah, even even yeah, under Jurgen Klopp, him. West Ham gave Liverpool a thumping at the Bowling Ground two 0 So it should be interesting to see how how they match up a third time this uh, in in the cup competition. Cannot wait for that this week in Liverpool and West Ham. All right, I have to ask you though, going back to the atmosphere that you speak of with the bowling ground. I kind of want to close on this looking forward to, to next season and even years to follow with West Ham with this massive move into the Olympic stadium and everything that is going to go with it. And a lot of people starting to, to throw out the name Tottenham as, as this big thing for West Ham to overtake kind of as the, the third biggest team in London right now, it would go either, you know, Chelsea or Arsenal, then Spurs, then everybody else. Else and everybody kind of looking at wow with this move into the Olympic Stadium we could overtake Tottenham and then from there who knows where we could go maybe people shouldn't get too carried away with that but there definitely is something to it so whether Shaka it's the atmosphere at the stadium or the money behind all of this and why people are starting to bring that comparison up what do you think about the move to the Olympic Stadium and and what West Ham have to gain from it well, I have to admit, initially I, I was not in favor of it. I, I just wondered if taking West Ham away from its, its traditional home of, of, of the bowling ground was, was one that would ultimately backfire. Um, but, you know, saying that, that's just me kind of wanting to see those traditions maintained. But if West Ham are to have any hope of, of overtaking the likes of Spurs, they have to move into to a bigger ground. They have to kind of expand and, and, and grow in, in that way. Now, the challenge would be, and West Ham have always drawn from that East London crowd, and, and that's, that's their, their catchment area. Can they, can, can they, get a, can they cast their net any wider? And I think that's 
that's a challenge for, for, for the West Ham management to, to figure out. And, and if they can, how, how do they do that? Because as, as good as the atmosphere is at, at the bowling ground, you know, all of a sudden you're being asked to fill a bigger stadium, even if you just transplant the same numbers and the same pieces into this big Olympic stadium, a lot, a lot might, might very well be lost. And, and you know, you, you have to wonder about, about that transition and, and, and whether, whether West Ham can handle it. But, again, right now for me, West Ham needs to focus on, on themselves and getting their crowd into the Olympic stadium. not worry too much about what Spurs are doing or whether they can catch or, or equip Tottenham Hotspur. Spurs traditionally have, have a, a bigger audience, both locally and, and internationally. And, and so, therefore, you know, right now, that shouldn't be West Ham's focus. They continue to show the, 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 the fans that, that have followed them through thick and thin. And let's also remember that in, in the years that West Ham were relegated, they were still getting 19,000, 20,000 coming to the bowling ground. No question, every single week. You have to continue to service those. To, the club has, now has to be loyal to them. And I think as, as you do that, you grow slowly, but surely. Why not? And, 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 and I, I heard you speaking about the, the, the TV deal coming in late uh, from, from next season. What, what this does, it, it kind of, uh, well, it doesn't close the gap but, um, between the, the haves and the have-nots and, and those clubs with, with, with bigger commercial machines. But it kind of levels the playing field a, a little bit. And, um, and if West Ham can continue to punch above their weight, as I think they've been doing this season, if they can continue to do that with that um, lessening of the percentage difference between themselves and, and the bigger clubs in, in English football, who knows and why not? But right now, my own concern, my own initial concern, is that the club now has to continue to be loyal to those fans that have been loyal to the club for all these years. Without a doubt, spoken like a true hammer. Shaka Hislop, always a great pleasure having you on the show. You're welcome back anytime. And next time, we'll be sure to talk a little bit more TNT uh, here on World Soccer Talk Radio. No problem at all. Always a pleasure, Nate. Thanks again. Shaka Hislop, Trinidad and Tobago, West Ham, so much more. And check, his out, check him out on ESPN FC. Huge thank you to Shaka. We're back after this. Closing this thing out, World Soccer Talk Radio, Sports Byline Broadcasting Network. Another huge thank you to Shaka Hislop. And one quote is going to stand out from that entire interview on the great Frank Lampard, who was told he was not good enough for West Ham. And in Shaka's opinion, that helped Frank Lampard develop a work ethic off of rejection and a work ethic that was second to none. Think about the moral of that story. World Soccer Talk Radio signing off. Big one tomorrow. Steve Parrish, the chairman of Crystal Palace, with us right here on Sports Byline. World Soccer Talk Radio. Love you. Signing off. Hi. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.